Hey, everyone. Um, welcome to Government Coins, our podcast where we demystify the myths behind government contracting and really give you all the information, the do's, the don'ts, and the strategies behind government contracting. For today's episode, we are excited, honored to introduce you all to Mari from DM Consulting. Um, and I'm excited because we're really going to cover how do we effectively price when we're writing these proposals. First and foremost, my name is Chris Lee. I am the founder of The Black Bunker, which is a strategy hub for Black-owned businesses to do business with the government at a federal, city, and state level. Also, I own Chris Lee G Consulting, which is a human resource management firm that focuses on data analytics and its impact on business performance. Shakia. And hi, I am Shakia Kegler. I'm the founder of Govlier, and I'm also the founder of uh, K5 Design Studio. So Govlier actually focuses on simplifying government contracting processes, leveraging technology and education to get more businesses, minority women and veteran-owned businesses into the space of selling to the government. And K5 Design Studio is a new design studio that we just started providing different branding, marketing uh, support. So yes i'm excited for this episode we know we actually had a lot of people asking about how do i price my products how do i price listen we're gonna get into that today so i'm ready mari go ahead and introduce yourself okay okay hey ladies and hey everybody else that's watching um, my name is mari i'm the founder of dm consulting llc and we specialize in government contracting consulting services and that runs the gamut from creating pricing strategies for clients we also do proposal reviews proposal writing proposal, proposal writing depends but um, we do extensive proposal reviews uh, we also leverage certifications for clients so we offer like a host of government contracting consulting services for the state local and federal government and i'm happy to be here joining you guys today All right. I think there's like a little delay. It's definitely on Chrisley end. So what I'm gonna do is just kind of take this all and leave with it right now. And so she her internet together over there. Um, but yeah, so even prior to starting DM, DB, DM Consulting, mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into this space. Cause people are usually very shocked to hear that government agencies buy products and services from small businesses. So how did you get into this space? Can you walk us through that? Absolutely. So it's funny. I was actually um, graduating from college. So I've been in this space for about 14 years now, which is crazy. But I was graduating from college and um, I essentially was going to, I was looking into becoming like a uh, marketing strategist in New York. And I, I had an interview in New York and I actually was thinking about moving to New York to take that position. And I came back to DC and somebody that was in college with me at the time um, basically said, you know, have you heard about government contracting? And so I was like, no, I haven't. And so that individual was actually, um, I believe, I believe, Cause they were like an older person. You know how sometimes like older people get their degrees and the, the government or private sector, like they may pay a portion or pay for it. So that person was actually um, getting their, I believe they're, they were getting their master's. I was getting my bachelor's degree and um, they were a contracting officer. And so I was just like, no, you know, like I haven't heard of it. I'm not necessarily interested. It doesn't sound like anything I would want to do. And so the individual just told me more about it. 
And I was just like, you know, I'm kind of interested in marketing. I think I want to go to New York and, you know, pursue that. And um, they said something that that interests me, which was, well, you know, the government is the largest um, purchaser on the planet, you know, on the globe. And if you under, if you start to understand the fundamentals of government contracting, say for instance, if you're interested in this position, I'm just, you know, throwing it out there, then this is a skill that you can take anywhere. You could take it to New York, you could take it to Dubai, you could take it to Honolulu, you can come back to DC. It's just a skill that once you learn and understand the skill set, you will always be in high demand. So that's what that's what made me kind of do a double take. Like, okay, well, tell me more. Um, so essentially, um, there was a position, like an intern position available um, for a government agency, and um, it was a paid internship though. So it was a paid internship position, and I was kind of debating. I was like, should I go to New York? Should I stay here? Um, and I decided to stay in DC, take the government contracting. Um, it was a Contract specialist, contract specialist trainee position as an intern. So I was like, you know what? We'll see what happens. If I don't like it, I can always, you know, make another decision. It's all good. And that's where I started. Like I started as an intern, um, government contracting specialist. I literally was green. Like I knew nothing about government contracting. You know, I'm in my early 20s and I'm just kind of like thrown into this new world and this new career career field. And it was really like, initially it was just like overwhelming because I knew nothing about government contracting. And then when I started to work on, I started out with simplified acquisitions. And at that time they were like $150,000 and under. So I start, and I'm thankful that I started out in simplified acquisitions. I know some, some other contract specialists didn't have that luxury. They were kind of just thrown into formal contracting, which can be super complex. But I started off in simplified acquisitions. Before I had, you go past simplified acquisition, can you explain what a simplified acquisition is? Oh, absolutely. So um, it's just essentially like a streamlined process, an easier process for government contracts to be awarded when the contracts are $250,000 or under, um, we also have micro purchases, which are typically purchased on the government purchase card. Those are 10K um, normally, but yeah, anything 250, 250K and under is considered a simplified acquisition. And that simplified term, you know, says it all. It's basically, we're gonna do this in a very simple way. We can get, you know, a couple of quotes. We can award to a vendor that way. You know, we don't have to go through this formal, long, long drawn out complicated, um, sometimes complicated request for proposal process. So I started working on those types of contracts initially, um, typically like small service purchases. Um, I would do a lot of market research, I would get quotes, and then I would award to a vendor that say for instance, um, you know, I felt like they could provide the service, they had the pricing that, you know, work within the price range, and I would go ahead and award to that vendor. And then as I, as my feet got wet, <laughs> I started working on higher dollar value contracts. Um, they have gone in, when I, well, when I left um, the government, I was working on like multi-billion dollar contracts. So it just gives like a, from an expansion standpoint, like I'm starting at 150K and then it's going up to like the billions of dollars. It just says a lot in regards to, you know, like where you can go as a contracting specialist in regards to the, the what types of awards you can work work on, starting from the simple ones to like super complex contracts. I think that's such a, a key point to like put out because, you know, people don't in these positions, they don't necessarily realize the power that they wield. You know what I'm saying? Like 
to be able to provide a contract or not even just provide a contract to be able to procure services from a small business and you know something like that like that is huge that's a huge opportunity um and then i would just ask a question in terms of when you transitioned what was the biggest change that you saw from the one hundred thousand dollar purchases to the billion dollar purchases aside from the like full crazy contract proposal aspect what was the biggest shift for you as a contracting specialist Wow, it's just, you're just like way more engulfed in the process. Like I know, you know, when I'm, when I was doing simplified acquisitions, I wasn't work, working with the program office that much. It was basically like, you would get, you know, a purchase request. It's like, oh, they're looking for um, some service, some some product. I would go out, get the quotes, you know, um, and then we would award to a specific business and then keep it moving. But as the contracts got more complex, you know, I really started working like hand in hand with the program office. Like a lot of people don't realize that sometimes when it comes to developing a statement of work, the program office, they may send the contracting office some documents and we're like, guys, we need so much more information. And sometimes from a technical standpoint, they're like, okay, well, we don't, normally they'll have like a te technical expert, but sometimes even a technical expert is like, well, I know we want this, but how do we find more information? So the contract specialist, a lot of times, will go into a lot of research. Like they'll do a lot of research about, say for instance, um, I worked on a lot of IT contracts. So when it comes to IT services, when it comes to companies, when it comes to pricing, when it comes to products, like whatever it is that the program office is looking for, the contract specialist will literally like kind of dig deep and do all of that research for them a lot of times. And then that helped them to develop the statement of work, um, which essentially will go into the RFP. So I would say, um, um, you know, you just get pulled in a lot more. You're working with the program office a lot more. You are talking to the contracting officer a lot of times in regards to um, the work that you're doing because they essentially will sign off on everything. But the contract specialist typically does um, the bulk of the work. And a lot of contracting officers are former contract specialists. So they're super familiar with the process because they've done it. But, you know, they ascended to the point where they're just, we're just signing off, you know, but we're making sure everything is correct because their name is going on that contract. Um, they have warrants, which essentially means like they have the authority. They, they are the only individuals um, that have the authority to sign contracts. So they have to make sure essentially that with their signing, everything is correct, everything is fine because at the end of the day, they will be held liable for that contract. So if I'm not lagging, hopefully I'm not. Uh, <laughs> um, my question for you, because you stated research, right? And I think some of some small businesses don't necessarily understand the terminology of research as it pertains to government contracting and the importance of, you know, responding to the three letter RFI. Um, and can you talk a little bit about why that's important um, to your experience as being a contract specialist? Sure. So an RFI, I'm glad you mentioned that as a request for information. Like, um, I think a lot of small businesses specifically, they may see a request for information and say, oh, well, you know, I, why should I respond to this? But at times, you know, especially if it's a, a new service or if, a ser if it's a service that the government is looking to um, get more insight into, they'll put out a request for information. And so when vendors respond, when businesses respond, you essentially are putting yourself in a position where you could be awarded this contract. Um, say for instance, if there is a service that um, the government needs and 
the RFI, RFI is put out and then we receive like the responses, say if it's just two companies, but we see like these two companies are small businesses, that can become a total small business set aside. You know, that can become a contract set aside for small businesses. Um, and it can be, become a contract that can essentially be awarded to um, one or both of these small businesses because the total small business set aside, typically it's, um, I think it's uh, two or more, I think it's like two vendors. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Two vendors could essentially like, you know, um, work on that award. So people don't realize it, but you're really putting yourself in the position when the government knows who you are. And that's difficult at times, especially if you're just re responding to a thousand proposals, which I hope nobody's doing that. I hope people are, you know, strategizing differently, but it, it puts you on the radar. It's like, hey, you know, Chrisley G Consulting, for instance, they responded to the RFI, they can do this service. Me as a contract specialist, I'm like, oh, great. Another small business, great, okay, we have to, they can do it, this means, let's look, let's research on um, the pricing a little bit more. They gave us, you're essentially helping us. You're giving us, you know, um, market research that we don't have to go and search for. So it's super important to respond to RFIs, especially for small businesses, especially for small businesses. I mean, I think that, um, I've seen instances where small businesses have been awarded contracts based on the fact that they were responsive to our to requests for um, information. Yeah, that's a good point because um, I usually will see like the RFIs and just look at them. And some days I'm like, do I feel like writing this? Because some some of them are ridiculous. Like some of them, they won't. 12 20 pages that's a proposal that's true y'all like is this not happening so it, <laughs> some of them i definitely am you know a little bit skeptical on but i have had really good responses and you know going after or responding to some rfis and the contracting officer and like telling me oh it's out for bid now like it's open mm -hmm. it's you go out and respond to it and emailing me directly to say something yep. like that. So, you know, definitely agree with you on that uh, because that's a huge avenue to, you know, really tap into. Another a part of like what you were saying is for opportunities that are actually going out to bid, that research needs to be done prior to. What about uh, opportunities that are new, innovative or something like that? How do you... How do how is research conducted in order to to access those type of opportunities? Or if that makes sense. If it's no, 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 I, no, I get what you're saying. So when it comes to say, for instance, like AI, AI technology or things of that nature, like a lot of times people don't realize this, but the government is can be very um, they can be. I'm not gonna say ahead of the curve, but a lot of times with certain types of companies. If there is new technology, the government can be reaching out to these companies just to gain information and access about what the what these type of um, what type of services that the these type of companies will be providing like to the government. So, for instance, I know um, I had a client who she essentially like came up with um, a great idea, and from a licensing aspect, there weren't a lot of companies that licensed like the particular type of services that she was offering to the government. And so she was asking me, you know, like, um, are they familiar with these, this service? Do they know um, that these services exist, et cetera? And I was like, well, 
For your specific service, yes. And I will say that because a lot of times, um, especially when it comes to the federal government, um, they there's there are these innovative programs that are not essentially, like you won't see them um, on SAM or anything, but they're innovative programs for, say for instance, tech. Um, I would say tech specifically where the government can essentially be developing some type of not gonna say partnership, but they are interested in new technology. So if you have new technology to offer the government and they're interested in what you're offering, a lot of times those conversation are, conversations are being had. Um, like again, you won't necessarily like see this like, you know, out in the open on, on SAM, et cetera, but those conversations are, are being started. And during that time, a lot of times, the contracting office is, is getting um, research information from companies, they're getting pricing information from companies. They're looking at how this new technology can be implemented in a government space. So like I said, a lot of times like those type of conversations are being had. It's just that you don't necessarily know because it's internal. I had to ask that question for all my startups out there because a lot of, you know, new innovative companies, they don't, they also don't realize the ability for them to be able to provide their products and services as well. So just wanted to throw that in there because uh, I get that question sometimes. No, absolutely. And I was going to say, um, when it comes to like sole source contracts or when it comes to um, an unsolicited, an unsolicited proposal, there are companies who have, you know, come to the government basically saying, hey, you know, I see you use like this specific, I don't know, financial software. And, you know, we do this, but times 10. And these are the services we provide. You know, that could essentially lead to a contract and then it's like a contract that if it happens you, you can you don't have no competition it's literally going to your business because you're the only business that's supplying or providing these specific types of services so i'm so glad you talked about that because i was literally pointing in that direction i was like i hope she says something about unsolicited proposals because those those are more like you create your own plateau there is no competition um, and I would definitely say you should, if, if anybody is thinking about unsolicited proposals in the federal acquisition regulation, so you should read that through for unsolicited proposals because there are specific types and things that need to be included, formatting for unsolicited proposals. And it has to be, the whole point of it is that it has to be innovative and something that they don't already have. Exactly. So like the idea of oracle like is not new to the government right like there are tons of agencies that use oracle so when you come in and you want to say hey but i have a software that's 30 times better than oracle and we're priced at the same amount or something like that now we're talking innovative and you're offering something that's strategic and that's what we have to think about with unsolicited it is not just emailing and saying you know i comb hair no, you are you are one hundred percent. You are one hundred percent right. Um, and I would say also when it comes to small businesses, I know a business owner who she essentially came up with the it was a specific type of educational program for the State Department, and that program um, she was awarded a unsolicited proposal, I believe, and that program is in 
several countries. Like it's in the US, but it's also in like several different countries. So to have a business where you essentially have created this program, say for instance, for the State Department, and then you have like other countries essentially essentially like paying to use your license for, you know, the, this specific type of program, like that's amazing. So yes, and you're right. There is like a specific format for those types of proposals. Um, I think sometimes like when it comes to the federal government specifically, and the FAR, um, the Federal Acquisition Regulation, people, they hear something like unsolicited proposal and they may think, oh, okay, well, I can just like, you know, tell them what my ideas, et cetera, et cetera. But no, you're 100% right. Like, it's always great from a format perspective and RFPs for requests for information for unsolicited proposals, make sure you are following the guidelines and the formats that are given to you because it's really sad when somebody is, you know, they submit a great proposal and I've seen this and then they forget something or, you know, they... They submit pricing, but we add the government asks for pricing in a specific type of format and they have a different format. And it's just like, oh man, they were so, you know, it's like you were you were up in the mix. Like there have been some um, proposals that I've looked at through an evaluation process where it's just like um, the evaluation team is like, oh man, if they would have just done this. But, you know, we have to remove them because like, you know, and it happens, you know, I don't feel like people should beat themselves up about it. But I think at the same time, as you do more, you do become like aware, like, you know, and become like a stickler for making sure that your responses are covering everything that the government is asking for. Yeah, I and I think uh, we talked about this last week um, in terms of, you know, writing proposals and just responding to it in the format that they're asking. They're giving you the blueprint in terms of what they're asking for. Um, the next step is, you know, I understanding the pricing side of it. like businesses are always asking, how do I know how much to charge? And my response is, how much is it going to cost you? Like, it's always, what is your cost to this? But because that's something that you specialize in, would, would that be something that you could speak to us a little bit more about, like pricing strategy and ways to research to, to understand what the market is responding to? Sure, I think, so when it comes to like a, a business responding to an RFP and figuring out pricing, I think, um, at first, you want, first and foremost, I would say do a bid, no bid strategy. And I say that because you want to make sure that, say, for instance, the contract is the lowest price, technically acceptable contract that you're looking at. And um, you're thinking like, oh, I want to go after this contract. But doing that bid, no bid strategy is showing you one, okay, what it's going to cost you, you know, to actually perform these services. You got to factor in your profit. You have to fa factor in labor categories, like um, the contractors or consultants or whoever, and this is for service-based contracts, who will be working for you. You have to factor that information in. You have to factor in um, different overhead costs. Um, and when it comes to pricing, just FYI, FAR Part 14 covers contract pricing for the government side, just so people know that. But um, all of those all of those factors you want to think about prior to um, coming up with pricing. In regards to how to do that for labor categories, like you can look at GSA and the e-library, look at contracts that have a similar NACE code to like your company. Um, I would say locality is important. Like I've seen some vendors or small businesses, large businesses too, 
they'll have pricing, but the locality is off. It's like, wait a minute, you know, this is for Kansas and your contracted contractors are going to be like in DC. It's like, that could be like a difference. So, and that could make a huge difference when it comes to you submitting proposal pricing. But I talked about LPTA because, you know, there are some companies that they just really want to get a government contract or they really want to get a federal government contract. And they may purposefully not take these factors into play and just say, you know, I'm going to offer the government, I don't know, $300,000, you know, and they may get awarded the contract. But you didn't factor in, you know, the cost. Once, what, and then say you do it afterwards, say you get awarded the contract, right? You're like, okay, got this contract for 300K. And then you go back or somebody helps you factor in all of the costs, that contract for your business, for you to be successful in performing these services could cost like 450K. So you're essentially trying to, you know, meet the demand at this 300K mark. And it's very hard because, you know, it's, it's gonna cost you more. For instance, labor categories, say you have uh, three labor categories, the admin, administrative assistant, um, an accountant, and uh, say for instance, a IT specialist. If you are unable to hire people for, you know, like the labor rates that, the labor rates that are um, competitive, you're not gonna get great people. If you don't get great people and you have people that are just like in these positions, working on these contracts for your company, that doesn't make you look good if the people are subpar. So I think like, you know, factoring in everything, all of the costs is gonna take, um, USA spending too, like if you wanna look at like prior awards or prior contracts, um, again, with your similar like NACE code, you can see like what the government has awarded in regards to like the total total value of a contract for those price points. But just um, being cost effective and breaking down, like I said, like everything from a um, overhead perspective, from a perspective of the skill level of the people who will, again, this is for service-based contracts, will be essentially like working on the contracts, um, your profit, all of those things need to go into play. And it's also good to do um, competitor market research. Like, you know, I have heard people say like, oh, well, you know, my competitor's pricing like isn't on their website. It's like, call them, call them and say, hey, I'm looking for such and such service. Can you email me a quote? Like, you know, you can, there are creative ways, you know, to find competitor competitor pricing if you just don't see it and it's not listed on, on the website but I would say um those are all I would I think good examples specifically like you know GSA for those labor categories just make sure you factor in your locality um USA spending for the overall dollar amounts and then um competitor pricing and market research is good too you kind of summed it like all the way up at the end because I was gonna say if it was three big things um most of my clients they have an issue with creating the pricing. And like you said, the GSA e-library, so guys, you can Google it, GSA e-library. And once you get on the page, just type into the search bar, the NAICS code, and then it will tell you the companies that are on the GSA <clears throat> library or the schedules, and you should be able to see their rates by labor category, or if they have like, you know, if it's a training, they might have like one set price per whatever they're teaching. Um, and that that is a really great base, right? That's like a good starting point. But then things that people don't factor in, the bid, I know Mari has reviewed a RFP for me this past weekend, praise her heart, bless her heart, you and Maria. And um, the biggest thing that I will definitely say in this instance is making sure 
that you're taking a look at the cost of insurance. Yes. Because that bid, the depending on the agency, the RFP will tell you the requirements for the insurance. And the requirements for the insurance can be $2 million. I think the one for me this weekend was $10 million for the insurance. Yep. And so that, if I need $10 million coverage, then my premium is going up. Plus you're at 30 employees. Now we're in a different, so now my hourly rate that I would be paying everybody has completely shifted. I could have been saying, okay, I saw GSA schedule this training and development specialist was $45 an hour. But when I factor in liability insurance, when I factor in health insurance, when I factor in, you know, all the 401k that I might want to provide for my business over the course of the five years of this contract, I'm not charging $45 an hour, $63 an hour. That's the body that I have to keep. Then you look at, okay, you're renting the space to have the contract. A lot of people can't break this down, but if you're in an office space, like the contract you reviewed for me this weekend, I physically went to office spaces that could accommodate the number of people. And then you take that amount and you divide it and, you know, do the, break it down. And I think a lot of get confused and i love the fact that you pointed out calling your competition i just had a meeting with the client <laughs> is that okay i'm like yes they would yes. do this <laughs> they would call you and get your pricing in a second the biggest thing if you know what exactly the specs are within the rfp you can call a competitor and you could go ahead and say, what would you offer for this and this? And if they ask who you are, you know, you can make something up. Like I'm a business owner, I'm your services in the future. Like you don't have to tell them anything RFP. Um, so very important for people to understand. No, 100%, I, I totally agree. And I love the fact that you broke down um, all of the additional costs like rent when and insurance specifically when it came to what you're gonna charge because sometimes people will essentially see like $45 for you know project manager. Okay, I'm just gonna put this $45 in the RFP. And it's like, no, factor in those costs. Like, you know, cost analysis is super important. Factor in your profit. Like, you know, you can't, don't just take the prices that you see in these labor categories and submit them because at the end of the day, and I've seen this happen, a business can be awarded a contract and then they realize at the end, like I was saying earlier, that the cost is gonna be a lot more and they are essentially paying people. You're not getting a profit. You know, you are essentially the money is coming from the government. You're getting nothing. It's going through to like um, either your subcontractors or the individuals that will be working on the contract. And it's literally like, you're just here to pay other people. So, you know, businesses and businesses can't sustain, especially small businesses and those type of like um, environments. So it's super important to like um, have that cost pricing aspect covered to be successful, you know, with government contracting. So I know, let me ask you this, right? Um, once you submit, I think this is what a lot of people have had issues with in the past. Um, if I submit a lowest, you know, lowest price, technical, whatever, 
Um, and I'm chosen. I win. I have the government contract. I'm so excited. Can the government negotiate? Or are they stuck? So normally, that, so normally once the contract is signed, like, that's it. Now, if you're offering additional services, like, you know, say, for instance, um, there's some additional services that, that the government needs that you can offer, there can be a contract modification, but... Um, the government has to okay that and say, okay, you know, we want to modify this contract to add X, Y, Z. And then, you know, you sign as well. But if you just say, by the way, um, you know, I think that I want to, you know, I, I made like a mishap and I want to add, you know, X amount of dollars to this contract. Can you guys just modify that for me real quick? No, like that typically wouldn't happen. <laughs> but if you are, if a modification needs to be made for a specific purpose, um, like I said, adding like additional services um, and the government is like, oh yeah, we need like this, then the government can do a modification. But normally if it's just kind of like, oh, well, you know, I just want more funds or, you know, that won't really work once you have been awarded the contract. You're locked in, and pretty much. <laughs> I mean, because if you think about it, like that's a legal binding document, you know, mm -hmm. like with anything else. Like it's kind of like you know, once um, you sign, if I sign a contract with you, or vice versa, and then I come back and I'm like, well, Chrisley, how about this? Now, it, it, it's up to you. But if you're like, no, we signed the contract, that's that. I mean, that's true, you know. So, um, like I said, for additional services. Um, sometimes they're administrative modifications, but normally um, it has to be for a purpose and it has to be for a purpose that the government allows. Okay, that's, um, I think that's one thing that we've seen as well. We've talked about it when businesses will bid on a contract and then it's way more, it costs more to actually fulfill that contract. Um, but let's talk about multi-year contracts. So in the service base, mostly on service base, uh, there are multi-year contracts. And then we also know that for these multi-year contracts, you know, maybe the cost in the first year is going to be different from the cost in the, the you know, subsequent years. But then also what happens when, you know, agencies or you offer a discount? Wait, let's do the let's do the cost first, and then we'll come back to the discount. Let's <laughs> let's do that because I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. Okay. So um, normally, and that's like price escalation, which which happens. I mean, like every year, if it's a contract, say for instance, for a base in four years, you know, it's that base year contract price, and then you have four additional years. So normally, it can depend on like the labor categories. You can go up like a specific percentage. Um, based on what that base pricing is, you can go up a specific percentage for the second, third, um, and fourth year. The percentage can depend on the actual work that's being done. But normally, like I've seen, um, I've seen contracts where say for instance, like every year it's like maybe like a 3% increase or every year they do like a 5% increase. So it kind of just depends on the actual work though. And it depends on um, sometimes like what's in the solicitation. Like if they're saying like, you can't go above, you know, X percentage for price escalation, then you're just like, okay, well I can cap it at this percentage for every year it will be this percentage. So yeah. I'm so glad. Yes, like you, you, you hit it on the head because this weekend, <laughs> I did I 
almost forgot to look at the price escalation. So on certain proposals, um, I've seen my client put like, let's see, year one is $10 and a year two is $20. I'm like, <laughs> no, we're not escalating. We're flying, man. Right. <laughs> I'm like, escalating. The steps are similar while progressing upward. Right. And so, I had to like really highlight where a lot of people aren't looking at one. The biggest thing, if you're going to go to the GSAE library and you're going to look at the companies within your NAICS code and you pick three, four companies to just open up the GSA schedule, you can actually do the math to see where exactly they're going every year by percentage. And you can be like, if all five of them go up 3%, Maybe that's where your your that your escalation number is three percent, but it is not a random. Yeah. I just want every single year. The contract that I did this weekend, it literally said, and I almost forgot, two point five percent max. So on paperwork to be competitive, we escalated every year at two point four percent, right? Because I don't really want to be at two point five. I think actually we did like two point three seven. Okay that right but that's the stuff that people don't pay attention to so for those that don't understand escalation is usually like a chart it says year one this is our prices and if it's a three-year contract our prices increase by this percentage so if this year i'm doing ten dollars next year it's going to be ten dollars and thirty cents then the next year it'll be ten dollars and sixty cents or something like that right so you have to pay attention to adding that percentage but definitely do your research Go to GSAE library, click ed- into the next code, those companies, and just do the math, right? Subtract, do the division, get the percentage so you know how they escalate so you can kind of map out what multi-year structure your business needs to look like. No, absolutely. 100%. And I'm glad you mentioned that that the, the percentage was in the solicitation because it absolutely can be at times. So, and that's good too for people to know because it's like, oh, well, here it is. Okay, I'm going to, like you said, I'm not gonna do like 2.5, but I'll take it down to maybe 2.37. So, yeah, and I was gonna add, add, cause we're talking a lot, we've talked a lot about LPTA, lowest price, technically acceptable contracts, but I just wanted to add briefly, those are not the only contracts, you know, in the federal government. They're best value contracts where, you know, it's not about having the lowest price um, necessarily. Well, no, it's not about having the lowest price. It is about the technical aspects, like if you can perform um, the services at a high level, or if you have the individuals that can essentially do what the government is asking for. The government is like, oh, we're not, we don't, the price is not the main factor. Can they do the work? We'll pay more. We just want to make sure that they can do the work. And I actually like best value contracts because they don't cap you into that LPTA category. It's more so about just the technical expertise. But I just wanted to add that briefly. I like that because, you know, it's giving TI, you can have whatever you like type of Okay, okay. Like, get, get you, I got this. Like, that's what I'm looking for in my life. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate the best value contracts. One of the things that I wanted to talk about as well, but so we talked about the escalation, but what about um, offering discount points um, for multi year contracts? And also, how does that benefit your proposal? Um, yeah, I'll let you explain it. Okay. 
Okay. So actually, um, and people may or may not realize this, but most of the pricing on GSA is discounted pricing. Like those companies, like their pricing is dis discounted for the GSA schedule for the government, but their market rate pricing, like say for business to business, it's different a lot of times. It's actually probably more for um, more for just B2B. But in regards to um, the question of, yes, you talked about, ask it again real quick. <laughs> Is discounts for multi-year contract? Okay, so um, same. So when it comes to the discount, typically, like I said, typically if you are, if you're providing the government pricing, it should be discounted from whatever your market rate pricing is. So um, percentage, it, it, it can be percentage based. Like I would say like, if you're looking at the escalation and how much you're going up in regards to the escalation, if you're going up 3%, um, in regards to the discount, discount it like, um, say for instance, you could give them like a 2.5% discount. You know, I think like if you base it on um, the increase, which could be 3% and you just kind of like figure out within that range where you want to add like the, um, where you want to add each discount per year, do it within that same range or whatever. But you would base it from the initial discount. Say if you're giving the government, I don't know, a $20 discount the first year. Then the second year, you're basically like, okay, well I'll give them maybe a little bit more, maybe 20, one dollars and twenty two cents. You see what I'm saying? So it, it it basically is like it's not a, not not necessarily a huge gigantic discount, but you know it's like they're getting a little bit more of a discount. Like that escalation is going a little bit up a little bit more. So no, that discount definitely makes sense. Um, and for those that like for multi year, right? So like if it's when we talk about the escalation percentage, like let's say if you want to do the dollar amount, that's a good one. If you want to do like, okay, this year I'm, it's going to be a 3% going from base year to first year, second year. And then the, to the second year to the third, you're like, okay, instead of 3%, it's going to be a 2.8% or a 2.9. And then year three to year four, you're like, all right, it's going to be 2.7. It's a track because the more, keep you they're like wait she's kind of charging less mm -hmm. right it's strategic because it lets the government know that one you've done your adequate research two you already know where the ceiling is and you keep going lower so it's like but your value isn't necessarily changing especially if it's if it's service-based and it's project-based First of all, the more you get into the years, you really should be getting to the end of the project. So the workload is not the same. So today's price is not, you know, yesterday's price. price. Right? So pretty much year one workload, when you're first starting in the heap of it, I'll say year one, year two, that load is different year five right at the end of the contract because you're really debunking you're making sure everybody understands this process you're doing a little bit of a different load so it's, it looks more attractive when you can really show hey we're giving you a discount i don't do discounts very often really? for the city and state i do it for okay. federal okay yeah. gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. That, that's a different you gotta know who, who you playing with you everybody can't get Store, right only certain people can get cool definitely not absolutely <laughs> but i was gonna i wanted to i bring up the discounts as well because discounts in the federal space can also help with like prompt payment so mm -hmm. 
that was the point that I wanted to like also like shine a light on like you give them some discounts they might slide you your your money quick <laughs> but no I just wanted to bring that part of it up too just looking at it from that aspect um but so you said something that what you said right what would be the discount like give us an example to help the people so I think it's between years I think it has to be at least one percent don't quote me go look in the far um, right. I think it should be at least one percent um or up to one percent or something like that but that's one yeah. percent come on guys like to get paid not, I, I mean yeah. sometimes i just do it just because like it's you never know because at the end of the day we provide software so after for us after that first year it goes down you know we already implemented the software it's more of a maintenance aspect of it and then you know now we're starting to add in technical support being able to provide that so you know for us ours de-escalate as the years go because it you know the, the it's it's Hello. ending like the, the contract is rounding out um yep. but we do provide small discount percentages in there just for prompt payments so when the prompt payments um you could put in your proposals like you know three percent discount if pay if invoice paid within 10 days, uh -huh. five, like you can do graphs, right? Like I, I'll give a discount if the invoice is paid within 10 days. I'll give a lesser discount if it's paid within, you know, 20 days. And I'll give it even lesser if it's paid within 30 days, right? So like the more discount you give as an incentive, that's the best where you sooner get paid. So definitely start thinking about that. And I would also add to that in regards to having a good relationship for federal contracting with the core, for state and local with the invoicing office, because if you have a great relationship with your core um, in the federal government, a lot of times they'll, you know, they'll take care of you. Like I, as a contract specialist, like so cores are designated for like program offices, but there were, in, there've been instances where businesses have, have called me basically saying like, hey, you know, we're looking for this invoice, so we can't find this invoice. And I'm trying to get in con contact with the core and say, for instance, I can't. The contracting officer can pay. Typically, they're like, this is not my job. And it's not, but they will pay like the, um, they will pay the vendor or uh, business owner. But if you have a good relationship with the core, when it comes to um, discounts, but just in general, you know, that's, a great relationship to have because they're the ones paying you as a business. Um, and with the invoicing office, with state and local governments, you get a person, this is John, you know, John handles your invoice. You know, you know, I'm gonna be on the phone with John, like, okay, how can we, cause I've seen, especially at the state and local level, contracts get paid in a week. You know, um, and the, at the government, they can be paid, like the prompt payment access within 30 days, but they can be paid before that. So having those relationships, especially once you have the award is super important. Yeah. Um, somebody did ask a question. Oh, can you explain CORE to them before? Oh yeah, sure. Sure. A core is a contracting officer's representative. Typically, they are typically they're in the program office. So typically, um, they will they are the ones. Once a contract is awarded, you know the contract specialist has done all the work. The contract has been awarded. There's a core in the program office most of the times who will see like when it comes to the performance of the contract. That's the person that you will be in touch with in regards to contractor performance, the maintenance of the contract, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And also they are the, the ones that will be paying the invoices. So that's the core's responsibility. 
And this is basically the person you'll be communicating with throughout the lifetime yes. of this contract. So yes. y'all need to be buddy buddy. Um, yes. Yeah, she said this person works in that office. So you definitely want to be cool with them because they may look out if some opportunities come up or they can remember yeah. how to process, you know, how it was working with you. Always, always, always build good relationships and over ex over exceed the expectations. That's what I'll say. Um, Crystal, you want to say something? Because I had one more question. No, 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 no. I was literally just, I'm like, yeah, girl, say it, Shakia. <laughs> <laughs> so there was Good. one more point that I wanted to make. Um, in the beginning, we talked about when it comes down to pricing. So you have the scope of work and, your, and, and everything outlined for, you know, the cost of how much that is going to be adding in additional pricing uh, that's one thing that we businesses may not know that you can add in a component that says additional services and then the price is next to it and make it an optional additional services yeah. whatever the case you, you want to put and that gives you the leg room to negotiate when the time comes you want that opportunity to negotiate because i say this a lot of times contracting officers um they get the scope from the the other department or the program or whoever that's looking for this product that needs it and they're just putting out what they know they need you may know as an industry expert something that they need that they don't know they need right mm -hmm. so that's your opportunity to throw that additional those additional services and that pricing into that um that proposal so that way you know you can explain to them why they may need technical support or why they may need an, a, an additional body who can i don't know wash the windows or something i don't know but you know looking at it from that aspect so i just want to throw that in there because we talked about that but we didn't elaborate it elaborate as much on it no, that is 100% true. And I've seen contracts like that where um, you literally, well, proposals where you're literally like, oh, okay, but they also offer this, 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 and this. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, and, and it's optional. It's something that, you know, the government can say, okay, well, yeah, we do need these services or no, but, you know, at least we know this is available from this company. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, what time is it? Because we were supposed to, we, it's 2.30. Uh -oh. It's 2. Bisha, we, you want to questions? Do you got any YouTube questions? We, I do have some YouTube questions. Uh, this one isn't around pricing. This one is more around a disabled veteran status. So I can answer that one in the chat. Um, but I mean, we do have like two more questions. So. Yeah, so you want to hit them, Chrisley? Um, yeah, go ahead. Computer just did the the milli okay. on me. So, if I am a product based business, provide well. Can you please provide me with a few items that are must have in terms of my pricing? So, things that I need to to keep in top of mind if I have a product based business and I'm giving out the pricing. I think this. Well, you want to make sure that um. If they're talking about specifically the, I would say like, well, when it comes to your specific product, you want to make sure the product that you're offering, you're offering it at a competitive price because yeah. products can be priced differently, you know, on the low, high, mid-level end. So you just want to make sure that the product that you're offering, you're offering it at a competitive price for the government. Um, and I would say to find like um, 
say for instance, I will, I, it would be great if the person could say like, I'm talking about this specific type of product, but I would say like to find like, you know, um, vast amounts of uh, information in regards to pricing of products. Again, like I would say like, look within like your industry when it comes to uh, authorized dealers or, you know, like other, other vendors and just make sure what you're offering the government, the price is competitive. And it's not like, you know, on the super high end, it doesn't have to be on the super low end, but it is like, you know, within that competitive range. I, I One of the tools we used to use to search for different pricing for products while when I was in the Navy is GSA Advantage. So yeah, you can go on there, you can search to see, you know, how much these items cost mm -hmm. um, based off of the vendors, because they all have, um, GSA contracts as well, but they right. just have the products outlined. I think it's the FSS, it's, but either way, they I, they have the products outlined on the GSA um, Advantage website, just like on Amazon. So you can go there, use the search, see what those products are, are, are costing. But also you need to keep in mind things like what's going on in the market. Like Absolutely. I used to do pharmaceutical and medical supply sales um to government agencies and there we always tried to get to sell them the products that had a shortage like okay. if there was a shortage on you know mask or whatever the case may be at that point there is a cost but there's also what is the market willing to pay for this product what's absolutely absolutely and that helped that happened a lot when the pandemic first started like I remember seeing contracts, um, not contracts. I remember getting emails basically saying like, you know, if there's a business, um, if there's a business that can provide these specific types of services, like, you know, email this agency because we need this. So literally, and at that time, if you had say for instance, mass and the, um, uh, the PPE like equipment, et cetera, and say, if you say, you know what? This is, this is like typically about $100 for this stuff, but I'm gonna charge $400 because of the scarcity. I mean, it, it would have been paid because it was it was scarce and the item and the market literally dictated what the price was because you can find these items. So yes, like, you know, paying attention to the market is super important and the scarcity of specific types of items, especially if the government needs them, um, is super important too. But don't go too crazy. Like, don't be price gouging, y'all. Like, no, 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 no. I, I think back to that guy who had like the HIV drug, like, he was going way too much. Uh, okay. yeah. you um, okay. And then we have one more, and this was a service-based business. What are some of the items? Same question, but for service-based businesses. And we talked mm -hmm. about that mostly. Um, and we talked about, you know, the labor categories. And I yeah. actually dropped a link in the YouTube chat for you to be able to check out the a link to labor categories and you can just search for them just like Google. Uh, look, I love the little the websites that you can just search for stuff quickly. So GS has a tool that you can do that and search for those labor categories as well. Um, even give you a description of the category that you can add into your proposal, people. Uh, but either way, <laughs> but not clapping, not the church clap. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, but keeping that in mind, so we know about the, the labor categories, what are some other costs that we need to keep 
in mind when we are pricing for service-based um, solutions? Yeah, um, so like I said earlier, when we talked about like overhead costs, like those are, you know, of course, like um, super important. And the profit, your profit as well, like, you know, what your percentage will be in regards to the profit, like that's extremely important. So all of those things, you know, you want to make sure that you are, um, from a cost analysis standpoint, you're analyzing what it will take to get this done. You know, you are including like the insurance, like, okay, I have to pay X amount of insurance. I have to factor that into the price. I have to factor in again, like overhead costs and my profit. Like all of those things are important when it comes to um, creating like your pricing strategy and creating your pricing for your service based proposal. I love that you added in profit because usually yeah. we just think about the cost and the government knows that you are in business to make money. Don't yeah. start to throw that profit in it because we won't see, like looking at it from the episode. I'm happy you pointed that out. Yeah, and for, for like service, a lot of people, they will put, like we talked about before, that base price. And then of course you add your insurance, your overhead stuff and the profit. Some people I've seen them do it by percentage. So let's say after they add all the bills related to that human labor category, because a lot of service base is service from a human being, whether it's janitorial services or whether it's consulting, there is a human exuding service. And so my policy, I have a certain percentage on top of the bills. So if this person to have them functioning and have insurance and be fine. If it costs me $57 an hour, then I'm going to add a percentage on top of that because every time they work for every hour that they work, my business gets that percentage. So if it's, you know, 5%, I'm not adding 45% cause that would just be dumb, right? <laughs> but if it's an extra whatever percentage that might be, I might range between, you know, three to 5% that every hour that they work, whether I'm dead or alive on the side of the road, my business is still making money. That is one thing that people tend to forget or when I go to like the questionnaire pre-proposal conference, people tend to be like, well, you know how, and I only see this with small new businesses. They're like, but how do we include our pricing in this proposal? And I'm like, girl, just add it on top of their heads. Like <laughs> it's complicated. Every head, when they work, you get paid. That's it. You call out sick, they're still working. I don't know. <laughs> like, So that's something to think about. I like you through the hours in there because we didn't hit too much on the hours. And this is my my point about boundaries. So when it comes down to doing business with the government, just like doing business with different consumers, you want to make sure you have those boundaries in place. So when it comes down to your hours, put those hours in there. Be strict about those hours. If they go over, this how much it costs per hour. Exactly. Let me tell you one thing: state and local governments are good for for wanting for biting off more than they can chew. Oh, absolutely! So make sure you are creating those boundaries. Stay within. Listen, Mar said it earlier. This is a binding agreement. This is what we agreed on. Always refer back to that contract. Yep. So um, just as much as you know, 
I, this is the only thing that some, my I think I don't remember who told me this. One of my friends or something. They were like always move like move like you're hungry, but never like you're starving. So yeah. you out here doing this work, you already doing the work. You you already have the contract. The thing is making sure that you're not overextending yourself. Don't, it's nothing wrong with like providing, of course you want to provide an excellent service, but don't overextend yourself or your team to fulfill something that was never agreed upon in the beginning. Absolutely. So, let everything, nothing, nothing in life is free. Especially not, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Wait, what's the line that you said before? You said like a good line. I want to like, I need to quote that. Move like you hungry, but never like you starving. I like that too. Are you hungry, baby? But don't be out here. That's <laughs> it right there. Take everything. I like that too. Make Hamza sing. I'm deep like, some days. You guys Hamza sing that as part of like the intro song to government coins. I feel like that's that's it right there. That's it. Yeah, we yeah, working on an intro song. <laughs> we gotta get our bars together. Not, not we. Bars <laughs> together. I will be in the back church clapping like. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. That's a great. We have a question in the. Do you want to go to questions right now, Shakia? Oh, I thought we just did questions. Oh, once somebody just in the in YouTube, it says, is it necessary to take a contracting course to familiarize yourself? Well, I would like to say that <laughs> Dove Lee Academy um, is a great place to start um, because she has the boot camps. Shakia, please tell us what can Dove Lee Academy help when it comes down to contract? <laughs> I don't even know what I'm working for. Like, I don't know <laughs> why I'm doing this. Like... <laughs> So Gullier Academy has training videos to walk you through the processes step by step. And the thing is, you know, you don't have to take a course. You never have to take it, but you want to because the amount of information that you are going or the amount of time that you are going to find out some information, learn about it, not do it, come back to it. So it's, it's good to actually have, you know, that plan in place and you know, this is, what I, this is what I need to do. This is how I do it, walking through step by step. And then even further, this, this will be the result that we'll get from this. And then you also have a community of people that you can connect with, build with, and learn from. And then also access to consultants like Chrisley, like Mark, who, you know, I'll always refer you to them for any of their specialties in terms of, you know, where it comes down to writing proposals, anything HR related, any, any, and then also Chrisley just does consulting work as well in government contracting space. So if you want someone to walk you through the proposal, if you need help with something like that, that's another conversation as well. So again, it's about having a community of people and access to different training and knowledge to get you through this process, through the steps. So, and then DM Consulting also <laughs> offers the services where she has done many a classes. So if you're not paying attention, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know. Y'all uh, make sure you, that's what we didn't get into. How are people going to contact you? How do they get in yeah. touch with you? What they follow you? Hi, come on, let the people know. 
No, so, um, well, first, this was a great discussion, great conversation. Um, and I'm, I just love what, you, what both of you are doing in regards to like the services that you're providing. So kudos to both of you. Um, as far as me, like um, I can be found on my personal page, which is Mari underscore LLC. It's M-A-R-I-I underscore LLC. And then my DM Consulting, which is the company page, I believe is linked in the show notes, um, both on Instagram. So that's where I can be found um, in regards to services offered I mentioned um, I mentioned some of them in the beginning but we do do uh, again like we run the gamut when it comes to consulting services from pricing strategies to project management services for contracts to uh, proposal reviews proposal writing we offer virtual trainings um, as well I have like an ebook an e-product so all of those things are under the umbrella of DM consulting and I also wanted to say really quickly the reason why I started DM consulting was because I saw the inequity in government contracting um, and I was basically like you know we're awarding all these contracts this is great but I want to see like way more black owned businesses I want to see you know like way more um, uh, minority owned businesses being able to get these contracts and when the term minority um, in government contracting a lot of times it applies to women and you will see like um, women a lot of times non-minority women like women getting awarded a lot of contracts and I wanted to, you know, just kind of open that window more and do what I could. Like, yes, I could, you know, work in the government space as a contract specialist, but I was like, you know, if I start a consulting company, a lot of the knowledges, the knowledge, a lot of the knowledges, a lot of the knowledge that I've learned within this past, um, these 14 years that I've been in this space, I can share, you know, I'm not limited to what I say, what I do, et cetera. I can essentially like share information like I'm sharing right now and people can understand it more. Cause it's all about debunking, like, you know, myths or just, making sure that people understand the process. Because once you understand something, then you're like, okay, it's steps to this. I learned the steps and then I'm like on my way. So I just wanted to throw that in, in there too. No, yeah. And that was a part of us starting Double Academy, but also Chrisley starting the Black Bunker. Like mm -hmm. literally, sis just said, uh-uh, this is for black folks only. Like, <laughs> I hear, it. I love it. So, so <laughs> uh, you know, we, when I tell you we share the sentiment, we mm -hmm. share the exact same sentiment when it comes down to this um, and doing this work. Like it's one of those things where it's not a lot of people that look like us in this space. So us being able to a you know provide a space where we can have a conversation and joke around, talk, and you know just say say you know things that relate to us on an everyday level and and bring and the information down to you know bite sized chunks. Not because we, not because we we can't comprehend, but because it's easier to comprehend. You get what yep. I'm saying? Yeah. Exactly. So that was that's the point. Like we can all get it. We know this stuff, and we can do this stuff. But why am I gonna make it harder for you when I'm already, you know what I'm saying? I've already been through that. Yeah. Did you say I've been through that, so you don't have to go through that? Exactly. Yeah, and I think. The whole black bunker, it's like, and everybody knows my sentiments about doing business in New York City. However, it's um, it's just when you looked at fiscal year 2021 coming out of a pandemic, New York City spent 34, $30.4 billion in government contracts and only 
8% of that went to MWBE's Minority Women Business Enterprise. And this is the reason why I say the Black Bunker is because less than 1% went to Black-owned businesses. So when I say the numbers don't lie, I follow the numbers and I'm like, the math doesn't math. It ain't math. Math ain't mathing. <laughs> And you know what? A lot of times it has a lot. It's not that there aren't qualified black businesses out here. That's not the reason why. It's because they may just not know how to participate in, in the process. So, you know, by what Chrisley, like what Chrisley's doing, what Shakia's doing, what I'm doing, I feel like we're all giving back to the community and basically saying, like, listen, we know you can do the work. You just gotta learn the process and you won't be on your way. So I honestly think, and that's one of my goals, I want to see those percentages increase triple. Yeah. You know, I want it to be normal for Black-owned businesses to say, oh, yeah, I just kind of this contract. Not like, oh my gosh, I got a call. No, it's just, it's normal. You got one, okay, me too, me three. Oh, that's what I want to see. <laughs> Feeling this, this is a conversation. I love it. This is um definitely, you know, the vision. This is definitely where we wanted to go with it. So. Yeah. So happy to have you on. We'll definitely have you back um, as well. This is we're closing out soon. Season one, Chrisley. Yeah. Hi. Oh. Congratulations. We really did. Like, this is crazy. It, it's crazy to see, you know, the progression of it. Not that we didn't expect it to progress, but it's crazy to see how, you know, we consistently like keep getting better and better i don't know like how how else not to say it besides sounding like i'm you know that, you just, that girl but that's you, fine but it's nothing wrong with that i'm like i don't celebrate shakia all day long oh. i don't think we understand like the level of determination for black businesses to win um, and just to build, first of all, your passion for building GovLier, off of that, if anybody doesn't understand the concept of GovLier, that platform is essentially, I feel, could be as competitive, you know, to like a bid speed. Um, it, it is the place for Black-owned businesses or, you know, minority women businesses um, to find, okay, this is a place I can go to find opportunity. And so for her to sit, literally make contact with all these agencies, because, you know, I ain't got the patience to talk to the agencies outside of an opportunity, but to that sacrifice, I think is commendable. And that's, that it's, it takes us full circle because Mari, you said, you know, a lot of these black, these business owners just don't know how. And so I'm thinking about full circle when we have Port Authority on, they are working on ways to make the process more, you know, chewable, yeah. um, or relatable to our community where a lot of these proposals are not necessarily written with us in mind. Um, and so I love that. I love the fact that the GovLA platform exists. And I love the fact that Black Bunker exists, that DM Consulting exists, because we're going to do everything in our power to make sure every person that looks like us has not just a piece of the pie, they have their own own pie. pie. Own pie. I don't own pie. It's all about economic empowerment. Yes. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Sure. 
Y'all, this has been a good one. I needed this last tidbit, these last few seconds more than y'all know because I have been just, you know, really contemplating what the next steps are going to be. But I've also been very motivated and this feels like confirmation for me. Um, so thank y'all so much. I'm going to wrap it up before we keep talking yes. because yes. we clearly got the gift. I'm just going to order on. <laughs> But y'all make sure y'all hit that like button. Make sure y'all subscribe to the YouTube channel so that way you can get notified when we have new episodes coming out. Every week we have, except on holidays, every Thursday we have a podcast to come out here and talk about government contracting. Mm-hmm. And we we appreciate y'all everyone who stuck with us from the beginning we got 20 people watching live right now 21 22 people watching live right now um so thank y'all so much for that and if always if you have any questions drop them in the comment section um follow us on social media you can ask questions comment there if you know anyone who you know think would be great for the podcast who's been killing it in the government contracting space and just a wealth of knowledge uh, as a business owner as well you can share their information with us because we do have season two coming out season two we will have a lot more government agencies on board y'all i'm excited about it um and then we should be having an event coming next year too so do we do but we we will have an event in the spring slash summer ish we don't know the date yet uh, but it'll be in person non-covita invited you know y'all probably got to get tested now we can't have covita running around um up in the space um and it will not just be me and shakia so all those wonderful people that y'all see and of course mari you'll know about it um but a lot of your favorites on social media will definitely be present um you know i'm excited because it'll be more than likely annually yeah it's gonna be a nice little shindy you know (laughs) all right later thank you so much mark for coming we really appreciate you um i'm gonna end it right now and bye ladies bye thank you mari welcome